A meal, for some, is simply food to ingest. For others, it is time to connect with friends and family. But for Jesus, it was an occasion to demonstrate the character of God in surprising ways. It was in the context of a meal that Jesus showed us his heart while others sat around a table with him. You're invited to pull up a chair and prepare to experience Jesus, the dinner guest, sitting across the table as you witness the extraordinary. Because when Jesus came to dinner, it was always more than a meal. There we go. All right, I just had to do that. I was just setting it up so well. How are you doing today? Happy Sunday. I want to welcome you here to Trinity Church. <clears throat> My name is Todd Arnett. I'm the lead pastor. Incredible privilege of mine to get to be here with you today. We were praying this morning. Our production team gets ready together every uh, Sunday, goes over, kind of order a service, any issues. But we spend significant time praying for you. And our prayer today was simply this. One of the prayers was, God, would we see you more clearly today? Your people gathered in your house, would we see you more clearly? Would we see this Jesus that we say we want to be rooted in him, continually deepening those roots around the person of Christ as we're reaching our worlds? And so that is our prayer for you today, right out of the gates, and we're really glad you're here. If you're a guest, especially want to welcome you. Thank you for making this a part of your weekend plans. What we're going to do today, you are with us week two. You'll notice in addition, we got a menu on the board. That's pretty good. You're kind of uh, in our cafe today is kind of our attitude. This is more than a meal series uh, looking in the book of Luke. So a couple things. You got a Trinity this week when you walked in today. This document's in the middle. If you want to take that out and have that ready to go with some notes that you can fill. And if you have a Bible, what we love about this series is we're walking through this idea of how Jesus interacted with people over a meal. And what's going to be common about it is the fact that there's people, there's Jesus, and there's food. But that's about it. Every week, there's something different that happens at that meal. And today, we're excited to look into a new piece of that. The great thing is, all of these narratives come from the book of Luke. Luke is the third gospel in your, in, or third book in your New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you want to find your way there, chapter 9, book Bible, electronic Bible, have yourself there, and we'll dive in in just a second. Well, we thought with a, a series like this, and, and the whole goal is setting up this idea of getting to see Jesus in these different environments as we march toward Good Friday and Easter, celebrating Jesus' death and resurrection. So we want to see him on this weekly basis as we prepare for that. And in this series, we thought there's no better year than to do a Seder dinner or a Christ in the Passover is what we're calling it. And um, that event is almost sold out. You guys responded like lickety split on that. And um, so that's great. There are a few spots remaining. If you want to sign up and be here, it's going to be the 29th, a Thursday, uh, prior to uh, Good Friday and Easter. One thing I want to tell you this, though, when I was talking about this last week, I had some people come to me and say, I don't think you communicated necessarily super clearly, so let me do that this week. And if you kind of listen and go, oh, I don't know if I want to go anymore, no problem. We have plenty of people who do, and we'll get them set up. Um, it's basically this, like when you heard $7 a person, you thought, seven bucks for lamb? Who can get that? Not here. We're not doing lamb, okay? <clears throat> Primarily because we don't think most people even like lamb. And Juice for Jesus, who is really putting on this event, we're hosting it, <clears throat> and, and Susan Perlman is coming to help us. That's really not a requirement at all. So think of it this way. 
<clears throat> our family dinner, we're gonna, this room's going to be full of round tables, full of families at tables. Our family dinner is going to be chicken with rice pilaf and vegetables. And we'll do like, if you've ever been a part of a church family dinner, I grew up on them. So I'm way excited going back to the past. It's going to be good. But within that, then what we'll do is we'll kind of get tables cleared off and then we'll engage in the Seder elements, the events, the elements within a Passover meal. So think of it this way. We're going to begin with food you like and then later on food you don't like. Okay. And that'll be great. But you are going to see Jesus all over the Passover celebration of all of these incredible symbols related to the person of Christ. So if that was something you thought we were doing differently and you don't want to go, no problem, just contact us. But otherwise, we'd love to have you be here. It's going to be a great event, and getting to see Jesus in all of his glory is such a great thing, and it was forecast thousands of years before he came, and we love that. What we're going to do today is, as we dive in, um, we are going to look at another narrative. These narratives, many of them are very well-known, and this one's not unlike that. Uh, We're looking at what is commonly called the feeding of the 5,000. Even that number is a little bit uh, misleading. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But what I want to encourage you to do today is this. Number one, if you know the story well, you saw the flanograph, you watched it on VeggieTales, whatever it may be, kind of do this. Kind of let that be. It's great that you know the Word of God, but let that be over here, and let's dive into their sandals today. Let, let's set aside what we think we know about the story. And I'm not here to say I've got all these mysteries you've never heard before. If that were true, you probably don't want to be listening to me. The Bible's pretty clear, and it's got some great um, elements that transcend all time. But I do want you to experience the text new today. And what you're going to see are three powerful things. Number one, you're going to see the way that Jesus cares for people. You're just going to see him provide for people and his heartbeat for them. Secondly, what you're going to see is you're going to see that often we downsize Jesus. We actually don't believe him to be limitless in his resources. And we're going to see what the Bible teaches about that. And then thirdly, we're going to find out what Jesus can do with the very little that you're holding in your hand. And I'm excited to walk that out with you today. So here is kind of our now what statement where we're going today in our, both our message, but throughout the week. It's on the screens in your notes. Recognize and remember the power of Jesus when his care is on display. Recognize and remember. Those are our key takeaways. The power of Jesus when his care is on display. Let's dive in. Number one in your notes, Jesus cares for people. Jesus cares for people. Some of you, you're reading these notes week after week, and you go, Todd, you do not, like, push the limits of um, intelligence uh, when you're doing these notes. That's pretty simple, right? And I'm going to tell you I know. But you're going to find out today the reason why this point is so important is because we often don't. Luke chapter 9, verse 10. When the apostles, we'll explain who they were in a minute, when they returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him and withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds, they learned about it and they followed him. Watch this. He, Jesus, he welcomed them, the crowds, and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Let's do this. Let's kind of introduce ourselves to the characters. And I was realizing this this week. If you're here and you're either beginning a faith journey and relatively new to this whole Jesus thing, or maybe you're just like, I'm just checking this out. Totally great. Love it, love it, love it that you're here today. But this is going to be a little odd to you because you're going, why are you looking at a book and breaking down a story? If you don't believe the Bible to be the inspired word of God, then it would be the same thing as like, why would you look at what might be perceived as a myth and look so like pulling it all apart? When people read 
um, about Paul Bunyan and his big blue ox, they don't try to rip it all apart and understand it. They just go, that crazy guy up in Minnesota. You know, they don't worry about it. Well, or if you were to go, well, let's even say that Jesus was a historic personality. We absolutely believe that. We don't look at the life of Winston Churchill and break it all apart and find there's plenty of autobiographies on him. We don't pull that all apart and look over it verse by verse, sentence by sentence. Why this? And I want to tell you the reason why we do this about the life of Jesus is, number one, we believe him to be the God-man. Unlike anyone else, no one before him, no one since, he alone, fully God, fully man. But we also believe that the word of God that you're holding in your hands or the word of God you're seeing on the screens is truly inspired by God himself. And these words, they mean something more than any book we could pick up. And that's why we look at these narratives through the lenses that we do. Let me introduce you to some of the characters. It's pretty basic. Jesus is in the story. That's a good start. The 12 disciples, they were called apostles a minute ago. We'll show you that. And then thirdly, the crowds. That's pretty much it. Three types of people are in this narrative. First off, these apostles. Now, apostle literally just means sent one. Sent one. So Jesus had done that. He had sent them. Back it up in your Bibles. Go back earlier to the chapter, Luke chapter 9, verse 1. When Jesus had called the 12 together, the 12, the disciples, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Verse 6, so they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Okay, so let's see what the disciples are. By the way, we're going to keep encouraging you to do this. Don't read over those words as matter of fact. Jesus gave supernatural power to people like you and me. The disciples, they were former fishermen, some of them. Some of them were former tax collectors. You looked at Zacchaeus last night. Matthew had such a job. Another one of them was a rebel who was involved in an insurrection against the the dominant world power named Rome. This was just this kind of crazy group of men that Jesus had assembled, they themselves did not have something significant or powerful that drew them to Jesus or drew Jesus to them. Jesus chose them. And Jesus very clearly sent, apostles sent them. But when they went into these towns and villages, they did things only God could do. They didn't just come and preach messages. They didn't just get their three points together They healed the sick. Demons were cast out of people who were demonized. These were the supernatural kinds of things they did. We dare not read over that like that just happens every day. And watch this. When they came back to Jesus to tell him all that had happened, they were stoked. They were so excited. Jesus, amazing things were done when we went to these villages with the power that you gave us. Now, we talked about the different audiences that are involved. I want you to see the different pulls that Jesus had on him as this narrative is unpacking. The first one were these incredibly excited disciples who couldn't wait to tell Jesus what had happened. But while they were gone, you know, this this narrative today, the feeding of the 5,000, happens in all four Gospels. Only one of 11 accounts, events that does And the other gospels would tell us this, that while the disciples were gone, word came to Jesus that Herod, Herod was a puppet king that Rome had allowed to kind of have a degree of leadership in Israel. Herod had murdered Jesus' cousin named John the baptizer. 
Disciples are gone doing great things for God. While they're gone, Jesus gets word that your cousin has been killed. And on top of that, there's literally thousands of people who are needy. I was thinking about that this week, and I thought, you know, I think parents can relate a little bit to Jesus. Think about this. Think about this kind of, this could be your home. I, this, is, this is the Arnett's, okay? We have, um, we have one student, a high school student. She, her name will go nameless, um, but it rhymes a lot like with Kindy. And Kindy is all excited, right, to get her driver's license. So very soon, she turns 16 in May, she's going to be just stoked. She's going to be crazy excited she comes home and gets to do supernatural things, like drive a car. I'm going to ask her to drive very naturally instead. Okay, she's, she's going to be excited. Imagine the day Kendi home, gets home, tells us all about her license. She's so excited. And then at the same time, we have an elementary daughter. And Ellie is saying, you know what? Um, I have homework. <laughs> I need some help. Can you come over? And by the way, I need a snack. And you're like, okay, really excited child over here, needy child over here. And by the way, I'm not saying Ellie's always, well, yeah, she is. Anyways, so <laughs> excited child, needy child. And then while all this is going on, before these kids come home, my wife gets a phone call that a dear friend to her has lost a battle with cancer. Parents, you can relate a little bit to Jesus' day. It's a little bit of what was going on in all the different avenues and elements of when these people came to Jesus and when this whole thing went down. I want you to see how Jesus responds to the crowds in the midst of all of this kind of chaos. Number one, he welcomes them. Number two, he preaches, he teaches them about the kingdom of God. And number three, he heals those who are sick. I want you to see this. What does the Bible say we are, Trinity Church? The Bible says we are the hands and feet of Christ. The Bible says we are the body, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We are the body of Christ. We should be doing the things that Jesus did. We're his representatives on this planet while he's at the Father's side. So guess what? If we were to make ourselves, our mission simply be about those three things, I think we would do amazing things in this Inland Empire. If we welcome people, every single type of person who would walk through this door, if we would welcome them with the love of God because God loves every single type of person who could walk through that door, there is not a person who doesn't fit that list. No matter how terrible their lives have been, no matter how sin-ridden they were before they walked in that door, it does not matter. We don't have lists and neither to God. He loves them. And if we welcomed them in God's name out of his love, amazing things would happen. If we would preach about the kingdom of God, if we would talk about, this is God's design. When Jesus talked about the kingdom, that's what he was saying. God put things into motion that the kingdom, God being the king, you being its citizens and subjects, if you live this way under his kingship, good things happen. You find his favor and blessing. If we would preach about the kingdom of God, amazing things would happen. And if we would be a people, though we have no power to heal, but we exactly know who does. And if we would point people to him in prayers of faith, imagine, imagine the lives that get changed in this area. I'm not saying we're not doing these things now, but if we make this our focal point, we want to be a people who welcome. We want to be a people who preach the good news of the kingdom, and we want to be a people who see others healed. Good things happen. And that's the representative, that's the example that Jesus set for us when we live out his example, people see him. 
Here at Trinity Church, we talk about, we said earlier today, being a people who are growing deeper in our rootedness in Jesus, who at the same time are living out his example of reaching the people in our worlds, welcoming them, telling them the great news of the kingdom, and praying for their needs. That's a great way to live. That's how we live a rooted, reaching life. What we're going to see today is this. We're going to see a sharp contrast between the way that Jesus responds to the crowds. Jesus, this Jesus who is overcome with sorrow. John wasn't just a blood relative. John wasn't just a cousin. John had been sent by God to be the forerunner of Messiah. And what Jesus is knowing, remember, Jesus was never confused. Jesus was never, oh, wow, how this happened, related to his death. He had said numerous times, I've come to give my life as a ransom for all. But there's something about hearing about his cousin's murder at the hands of Herod where he was realizing in real time, that is exactly why I have come. That had to bring that into sharp, sharp, vivid light. This same Jesus who's going through that, we want to see how he treats the crowds in contrast to these incredibly spiritually pumped up people. A lot of us, 120 of us just got back from a Thrive conference out in the South, Southwest Church, out in the low desert. And you couldn't have walked away more energized, more enthusiastic, more excited. And guess what? All those people, when they got back yesterday, they came back to their same problems. They came back to people who had needs. They came back to, they had bills to pay. And it's just that reality. How did the disciples, stoked about what God did, come back and all of a sudden have to deal with the crowds? We're going to see that contrast. And here's what I want you to see. It's in your notes. I want you to see this. Jesus exhibited his supernatural power to demonstrate to his disciples who he is and how he cares for people. I strongly believe that this whole miracle happens not because people need lunch, but because his disciples need to see how he cares and what he can do. I believe this miracle happened for them. Not the crowds, though they were blessed by it. It happened for the disciples so they could see the character of God. And we're going to see that passage today through our lens. Many of us here today would call ourselves followers of Jesus. That's a lot like what the disciples called themselves. See it through your lens today. How would you have approached the crowds? Number two in your notes, Jesus cares for people even when you don't see the resources necessary. Jesus cares for people even when you don't see the resources necessary. Continuing on, verse 12. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him, came to Jesus. So Jesus has been doing this for a long time. And they said to Jesus, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place, this Bethsaida. He replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. And a loaf would have been like a roll Unless we go and buy food for this entire crowd. And it says that there were about 5,000 men there. But, the, but he said to the disciples, have them, have the crowd sit in down in groups of about 50 each. And the disciples did so and everyone sat down. Okay, let's, let's see this, okay? And then the Bible talks about, when the Bible just uses language like we do, both the original New Testament was originally written in Greek and translated for us into English. Greek and English have the same types of parts of speech, and one of those is what we call an imperative, an imperative verb. It's a command. It's a directive. Do this. It's the kind of things I say to my kids all the time, but rarely to my wife. (laughs) You'll get that at lunchtime, okay? 
So anyway, so within that, it's, it's a directive. So here's the wild thing. The way this passage starts, they're coming to Jesus. The very first command given in this part of the passage is from the disciples. They're telling Jesus what to do. Send the crowds away. We cannot provide for them. Now's the time before it gets dark for them to go to places where they can get food and shelter and be taken care of. That is a gutsy thing to do to tell Jesus how it is. And I think Jesus loved it. Send them away. Now you you take care of them. But Jesus gives an imperative right back. Jesus, send them away. We're telling you what to do. Jesus like, no, no, no. Just the opposite. I want you to feed them. He doesn't give them any parameters beyond that. Doesn't tell them to feed them what or with what. Just simply says, you take care of their, their, their hunger. And here's the interesting part. I, I've read this since I was a kid, right? Many of you as well. And, and uh, John 6, one of the other gospels that, like, the, that cover this narrative, talk about Andrew. Right? And Andrew brings, and you've seen this before, Andrew brings a little boy and his lunch. And that's where we get the five loaves and the fish. They didn't have it in their backpacks. This kid did, Bobby. Okay, Bobby had the, the, the lunch. And you see that, and I kind of go, when you read this narrative, I don't know. I, I'd like to say that, you know, Andrew, out of full faith, dear Lord, we don't have much, but this we have. We offer it in sincere faith. I kind of think it went more like this. Oh, oh, you want us to feed them? Hey, Bobby, come here, come here. Here you go. We got Bobby's lunch. Literally, that's all we have, Jesus. Bobby's lunch. What do you want us to do now? It's hard for me to not read sarcasm into that. It's hard for me to not go, because of what we are going to read through the rest of this narrative, I think they were just like, Jesus, let me show you how bad it is. Let me show you how bleak the situation. If it's you and me, let me show you the 32 cents in the checking account. Let me show you the fact that my gas needle is below E. Let me show you that I don't have anything. I think that was a little bit more the nature of the reply. Now, the Bible says that there were 5,000 men there, and the word men is very accurate. It literally means men, males. So here's what that means. The crowds were not just men, and commentators would say that crowd was probably more like eight to 10,000 people total. 5,000 men, yes, but with wives, with children, etc. So this is a big crowd, and I don't know when the last time was that you were with 10,000 people, okay? I was trying to process that. Like, I've been with lots of crowds. If you were with us at Thrive, there were 2,000, not even close. 10,000 people. And I was processing that, and I realized I did a little math, or I went on the website, Citizens Bank Arena, right, just down the road in Rancho. I've been there for concerts and whatever. That has a seating capacity of about 11,000-ish. That's pretty close. I was out there, for, out there for a Cal Baptist graduation a couple years ago. If you've ever been there for a Cal Baptist graduation, you've seen 10,000 people. Not just like it could capacity sit this, they're all there. I had to park in other businesses and was afraid the whole time I'm going to get towed, okay? There was no parking. The place was packed to the gills. And I go, and that's about 10,000 people. That's about the size that we're on this, this slope of grass that we're wanting to get to Jesus, And that's the crowd that the disciples were absolutely overwhelmed by. Without any more information, Jesus doesn't say their last exchange was, here's Bobby's lunch. Without any more information, Jesus says, put them in groups of 50. Have them sit around in groups of 50. And I was reading that this week and I was processing, you know, it kind of made me think of what the good shepherd does. 
What does a good shepherd do? do? He, he has his sheep lie down in green pastures. Just, just take a seat. This is what, how this good shepherd is going to provide today. Just, just have them take a seat in groups about that size. I want to do this. I want you to identify with me today. Identify what the disciples must have been thinking. <laughs> what are you doing? First off, we're having this kind of awkward conversation. We've shown you clearly there's no food to be found. And now you're telling us, have them sit in groups of 50. That doesn't make the food any more available because they're in smaller groups. It just is more work. So, okay, here we go. And okay, you guys kind of assort yourself, groups of 50. And they're doing all this stuff. And I know in their heads they had to be. There's nothing that this does that helps the problem. You ever had that happen in your life? You have a need that you're just staring at. And God brings something into your equation that looks way over here, has seemingly nothing to do with fixing that problem. That's what the disciples must have felt like. You just told us to feed the people. We showed you Bobby's lunch. Putting them in groups of 50 doesn't make any difference. It doesn't help the problem. I will say this. They did it. I'm impressed by that. I'm impressed by the fact that when Jesus told them something that seemed absolutely disconnected from anything that would be helpful, they still did what he said. We'd, we'd do well to learn from that. Look in your notes. Here's the issue that's happening. This is what they were doing. They were arguing with the God of unlimited resources about what they perceived as limited resources. This is what's going on either verbally or in their head. They're arguing with the God of unlimited resources about the fact that they perceive there are limited resources. It's a question of the nature of God. It's a question of his power and his ability. That was what was on trial. They were saying in their heads very logical things. Bobby's lunch does not feed this crowd. This crowd needs to do the logical thing and go into the villages and get some food, get some shelter. They were thinking, watch this, just like you do. And just like I do. God, you put this thing in front of me. I have this need. Logic would say, do X, Y, Z but you have it staring me in the face and you're telling me to do things that don't seem to even make any sense. You see, you've faced this problem before. A lot of us have, all of us to some degree, have had our own share of poor decision-making. What I mean by that is that you have found yourself in a situation depleted of resources because of bad decisions that we already made. I've done this numerous times, just so have you where we're looking at a need and we're like, oh, but I just blew that money on this or I didn't save up or whatever the issue is. And that's it. But what about, what about, what about the situations that God seemingly puts right in front of you? And then the, the financial or the resource need that comes along with that calling. What about the mission trip? You were here maybe with us last November and you were walking through our missions expo. And as you did, you just really sensed, God, I I really believe that you want me to pursue this. And it's not because I want to see this part of the world. It's not because I have something super awesome to 
contribute. I just really sense you want me to go here. And, and then with that, it wasn't enough that you would miss work or it wasn't enough that you would have to raise all this money. But then you realize that the price tag wasn't just a couple hundred bucks. This is a big deal. Well beyond what you can do. God, why would you call me to something that I don't have the resources for? Maybe it's college. Maybe it's college and this sense of going, and, and maybe the college pursuit, students down here, maybe has nothing to do with even I want to go be a pastor. I just want to go be good at something that can honestly contribute. I want to be a Christian in the workplace. I want people to be, I want you, God, to be honored by the way I treat people and the way I do a good job at what I do. College costs a ton of money. God, I sense that you are directing me there. But how, how am I going to pay for that? Maybe it's an adoption. God has just brought this amazing opportunity into your lap. Whether it's through the county or whether it's through an agency, adoption is not cheap. And you're staring at this, not just this thing, you're staring at a child. You're saying, God, I don't know how we're going to pull this off. Maybe it's a ministry venture. You can fill in the blank with lots of different things, but you sense clearly God has called you to something, but you don't have the resources to make that thing happen. Now what? That's exactly what the disciples were staring at that day. Audibly heard from Jesus, you feed them with what? Do you tend to respond the very same way the disciples did? You're praying to the creator of the universe who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Psalm 50 says he owns a lot more than that. And you're praying to him who has no lack of resources, yet you're having a hard time believing he's going to cover the needs that you have in this moment. In your notes, this is the beautiful thing. Just like the disciples, we're learning who Jesus is one experience at a time. Just like the disciples, we're learning who Jesus is one experience at a time. God, I... I'm struggling. My faith is small. I don't know how you're going to provide. Guess what? People have been there before you. And even in God's word, the disciples were there before you. And this is what they were struggling with. Here's the interesting thing. Peter. Peter's one of the 12. Peter was there that day. Peter would say this later on to a group of other Jesus followers who were struggling to see what God was going to do and how he would provide. First Peter chapter 5. Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I don't have time to break that whole verse down, but I want to give you some key important points. If you're taking notes, I'd write a couple of these down. Place yourself in a position of humility. That Greek word humility is another way of just kind of translating or thinking that out. Watch this. You'll love this. Dismissing reliance upon oneself dismissing reliance upon oneself. Sometimes we have lots of weird ideas of what the word humble means or to humble yourself. That's what this word means in 1 Peter 5. Dismiss reliance from upon yourself. Look to the true God who is resource rich that he may lift you up and provide for you. The Greek word in the next verse, in verse 7, translated as anxiety, it means this, and you will appreciate this. The word anxiety, to be drawn in different directions, to be fractured. I just explained your last week. To be drawn in different directions. God, I, I have so many plates spinning. I am completely stressed out, completely anxious for how this is going to work. This passage is speaking to you. Because why? 
cast your anxiety because he cares. And that word, especially paying attention. Sometimes when we have been so caught up in the crazy of stress and plates that are spinning, it is so easy to begin to slide into this way of thinking that God does not see and God does not care. Why? Because he would have delivered me from this. He would have taken some of these plates off of the spinny things. He would have brought some resolution. He would have met some needs. And I could stop living so fractured, divided in so many ways. But here's the word I want you to see the most. The word cast. It reads a lot like what we've read earlier as an imperative verb, but it's not. I think the NIV didn't do the best here. It really means more this, having cast. Having, it's an already accomplished action. So now go back and look at that. Having cast, having already done this in the past, I've already made the decision to lay aside and lay upon the God of the universe completely resource rich, unlimited in what he can do, having cast all my fracturedness on him. And how could I do that with confidence? Because he especially is paying attention to me. That's what Peter wanted Christians in the first century to understand and how they could live with hope and how they could live with encouragement. A quote that I have used often on missions trips, but I've learned to use it in every area of my life, every area when I am walking out in faith on mission for God, comes from one of the most faithful missionaries I think ever on the planet. His name was Hudson Taylor, and this is what he said on your, in your notes on the screen. Depend upon it. Depend upon it. Stand on it as though it's true. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. Depend upon it. God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. That's a powerful statement. And by the way, it wasn't theory for Hudson Taylor. It is the essence of how he lived. A great example to us. Number three in your notes today. Offer to Jesus what you have. Offer to Jesus what you have and watch him show you what he can do with it. Watch him show you what he can do with it. Chapter 9, verse 16. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all, all, not just the disciples, all the crowds, they all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were, what? Left over. Left over. Jesus did a very normal thing. In the Jewish culture, it would have been very normal to thank God for provision. He thanks God for a lunch to feed thousands. Thanks his father. And as he does, there's something interesting in that text about breaking. You see, did Jesus need a little boy's lunch to feed the multitudes? No, a limitless God doesn't even need that. A limitless God could have simply said, lunch, and it's there. In everyone's hand, ready to eat. Jesus does things with great purpose. And here's one of those purposes. How was Bobby going to live the rest of his life? Mom, you'll never guess. I got kind of caught up in the crowd yesterday and I went, I brought my lunch. Thousands of people ate it. 
And she's just like, we need to let you sit down, boy. You're sick. Bobby was going to be forever changed. He knew what was in the bag. By the way, the disciples, the disciples would be forever changed. With a crowd of 10,000, I can honestly say, I was processing this this week, I don't know if the people in the very back had any idea a miracle had even happened. They were so far removed, they might have thought, well, the food trucks pulled up. And now they're just passing it all back our way. I don't even know if they knew what would happen. That's why I'm saying, I don't think this miracle happened for them. I think it happened for the disciples so that they could understand the heart of God and they could see that his resources are unlimited. I just want you to think, what would that have been like through the eyes of the disciples? Let's do it. Maybe it's something like this. They've had this back and forth. You know, they're telling Jesus what to do. You know, send him away. Jesus says, you go get him food. Hey, Bobby, what do you got? Okay, good. Bobby got a lunch. Take a look. Yep. Can we send him now? I just showed you, Jesus. This is all we got. Can we let him go now? Groups of 50? I don't know how that feeds anyone, but okay. And they start to do this. You getting 50, you getting in. They're doing this whole thing. I mean, by the way, 10,000 people. I told you, I saw them at a graduation. This has not happened quickly. Groups 50, they come back, and as they're there, kind of exhausted from our doing all that walking around, and Jesus is praying. Oh, okay. And they look up, and guy down on the end, Peter, Peter's getting a basket of food. In your mind, you're going, what's he got behind his back? And then the guy next to him, Matthew, he's, he's just gotten a basket of food. And, and then Andrew does, and all the way down the line to you, and you're getting this basket of food, and you're just going, where, where'd this, what? And, and you take it over to this first group of people. And as you do, you notice that all the people who passed them out, they've come back for more. All those disciples are on round two. And as you're walking back, I just have to think, there must have been at least one disciple one disciple who walks back and rather than go and get a second basket just gets down on his knees and says, my Lord and my God, who does this? Who has the power to multiply a lunch to feed the masses? Jesus wanted them to see the heart of God. And he wanted them to see a limitless God. And as that disciple came back to get another basket, he would have passed it out and he's realizing the rhythm. I gotta think by the third or fourth basket, he's got this big dopey grin. He's like, this is so awesome. You're never gonna believe this. Lunch! a great story for them. What about for us? What do we do in the times that God shows himself powerful and strong and provisional in our lives? Do we stand amazed? Just kind of soak in a holy moment? Do we readily bring back to mind 
God's power to provide? Do we praise God for all that he's done and cannot wait to tell the people in our relational world how God has met needs? I told you about our other girls today. I wanted to tell you about Aaliyah. Aaliyah turned 18 this week. That is a trip for a parrot. We've done it once before. It doesn't make it any easier. Just a wild thing to kind of think about her world. She wouldn't be embarrassed by this because it was just her life. But when she was this little girl, um, until about the time she was about four years old, she had this huge blonde fro, just curls everywhere, right? If you see her today, you're like, I don't look very curly. Things have changed. But she had this adorable blonde head of curls and just completely won my heart. So we're processing this last week. And um, her mom had a great idea for her birthday. And she said, Aaliyah, what about this? Aaliyah, you, you have a ring that we gave you a long time ago, a purity ring. What if we take that and what if we kind of repurpose it? And she had this idea of stacking rings. Stacking rings, because stacking rings sound a lot like stacking rocks. And if you remember, we've talked so many times about God's people in the Old Testament. When God showed up, in powerful ways of provision and miracle, they would take rocks and stack them up so that they wouldn't forget what God had done. So that when their kids and their grandchildren walked by, they would say, let me tell you the story of how God parted the Jordan River. Let me tell you the story about the time that God showed up in military force and saved all of our lives. Let me tell you, let me tell you. And we said to Aaliyah, we ordered these rings yesterday. We said, Aaliyah, you've already had so many stacks of rocks. I cannot wait to see the stacks that are still to come. Let, watch, let this ring be a reminder to you the next time you face something that you don't know how God is going to provide. Let these rings be a reminder to you of the way that God has shown himself strong in your life time and time again. And you'll have a stack of rocks everywhere you go. See, this is what God would have us do, is not just experience his provision, but to learn from it, to process it. In your notes, when God shows himself strong, don't just experience it and then forget it, but commemorate. Commemorate it in such a way that you won't forget it the next time you're staring at a lack of resources. And you're wondering if God is able to provide. We do these things, we build stacks of rocks to remind us of God's faithfulness, to remind us of his strength, to remind us of his power. That day, all the crowds ate and they were satisfied. They didn't just have a snack, they were completely full. And like you said, they had baskets left over. Did you catch it? How many baskets do you remember? Twelve. How many disciples? Hey, everybody get a basket. What, What do you think that exercise was like. Yep, Jesus does it again. When will I stop doubting him? Every time that he does something that I didn't think he could do, I'm reminded he is God. And I think it was a great exercise for them to walk around and collect each one of them a basket full and be mindful of the fact that God is so beyond us, so much bigger than us, so much stronger than us. Simple question, what about you? What's it like when you've seen God provide in ways that just blew your mind? 
that just really met a need you were staring at and had no idea how he was going to do it, but he did. How did that affect your faith? Was it powerful in the moment but just kept moving on? Was it powerful in the moment, but you struggled the next time you faced something similar to that? And by the way, if you can relate to that, that's exactly what happened to the disciples. Minutes after they get all of these leftovers collected, probably gave it to someone in the community, Jesus sends them in a boat across the lake. Four of them were seasoned fishermen, but this storm is so bad, they're afraid they're going to die. They had hours before seen Jesus provide something out of almost nothing. And the very next time, they're afraid, they fear for their lives. And it would be Jesus who went walking on the water, calmed the storm, and reminded them, I'm still who I said I was. Or is it powerful in the moment and something that you remember the next time that you faced a lack of resources as you approach the throne of God who has unlimited provision for what your, your need is. See, that's what we want to grow into. As a people, as individuals, we want to learn to be a people who look, look to Jesus in the midst of our needs. We go there first, not last. We go there in the moment, not before we've exhausted every other resource, having already cast our anxieties upon him. Watch this, because we're so confident that he cares for us. Our now what statement this week, recognize and remember the power of Jesus when his care is on display. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today. We are humbled. And rightly like that word, casting aside, dismissing reliance upon oneself. We vocalize that today. We are a people who will have multiple needs in our lives that we cannot begin to imagine how to solve. We need you. So today, as you've showed us so clearly your heart for people, how you welcome them, God, how you uh, talked about the kingdom with them, how you healed and met needs. God, would we as a church, would Trinity Church be known for things like that, things that represent the one we say we're following. But God, also for us personally and as a church, when we're staring at issues that you bring into our lives, needs that you allow to block our path, God, would we look to you and would we see you do God-sized things? Help us to be a people who have so many God stories because we come to you in faith. We come to you in trust. We come to you in confidence. You may be here today and you would say, you know, Todd, I, I don't know what it is to talk about Jesus like that. I don't know what it is to trust him in the way you're talking about. You might be here today and you might be very religious. You've kind of evaluated life and thought that's what the end of the game is like. If there's more good than bad in your scale and the Bible blows that all apart, says nothing could be further from the truth. None of us can get on that scale and have any merit before a holy God. So I want to tell you this. Let me tell you where it starts. It starts with you saying, Jesus, 
Jesus, I, I want to know the kind of God you are. I want to follow the example that you left. I want to I want to know what it is to be yours. And see, the great news is, the reason why we can, having cast our anxieties, is because God went ahead of us. 2,000 years ago, Jesus lived a sinless life. Jesus died a sacrificial death. Jesus was raised supernaturally on the third day. God went ahead of you and met your need in advance, and here you are today, maybe even for one of the first times, looking at that need and not knowing what to do with it. And I want to tell you so clearly, God already met the need. His name is Jesus, your provision, your redeemer, the atoning sacrifice for your sins. And so by saying even here today, there's no classes to go through, there's no hoops to jump in, right here, right now, saying, Jesus, I surrender. Jesus, I need what you have done for me. I need to be right with God, not based on anything I can do to earn it, but on what you've clearly done for me. I want to follow your example and live your life. You can pray a prayer, something like that, to Jesus right here, right now. And the Bible says that you will be made new, both for this life and for eternity. Father, we love you. Help us be a people this week who love the crowds, who love our worlds like you do, and look to you to meet our needs. We love you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.